now, uh, praise the Lord, we are in this, our new series, which is called The Great Escape. This is, this is going to be a walk through the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible with you, and if you want one, there's one up here, but there are, the, the, the screens are going to show you what's going on here. Um, to give you guys a little bit of understanding, if you've never been here before, um, I, I don't come from a religious background. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was not raised around anything other than a secular world. Um, Seventeen and a half years ago, God introduced himself to me in a beautiful moment of my life. My wife and I both received Christ in the same night changed our lives dramatically, redirected our lives dramatically. And now 17 and a half years ago, uh, if you told me back then that this is what I'd be doing, I would have thought you're crazy. But you know what? God has plans, so we just do what he, what he says. So today we're going to be, as I said, in the Great Escape. To give a little bit of preface, I'm going to give you a little bit of preparatory information um, in what we're going to be talking about. So what led Israel, uh, who Jacob, his name was changed to Israel by God, his family to Egypt was a desire to escape the oppression or the issues that they were struggling with, which was at the time was a great famine. So they escaped for a more comfortable life in the Egyptian, uh, in the Egyptian land. And what happened is that went from being a comfortable life to actually becoming, it changed over time and it became a sorrowful and a really a suffering life. It is an inescapable principle of life that sin promises freedom and happiness, but in the end, it only leads to bondage and sorrow. So to set the stage of where we're at today and what we're going to be looking at, Pastor Mark Trotter, who's one of my mentors, wrote a, he's wrote a study called The 52 Weeks Pursuit. And he gives this breakdown of the book of Exodus. And he talks about Egypt. He says, Egypt is a picture of the world and of sin. It will consistently stand for that which is in opposition to God and God's people. Just as Egypt held God's people in bondage in the Old Testament, it pictures the world system that seeks to hold us in bondage in the New Testament. The Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the wicked king of Egypt is a picture of Satan, the wicked king of the world system who exercises his will in taking God's people captive. Israel. Israel is a picture of the individual believer, okay? Please note that Israel is not a picture of the church. In Exodus 4, through 23, God plainly declares that Israel is my son and commands Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my son go that he may serve me. In the New Testament, God reveals that an individual believers, that individual believers in Christ, we now possess the title sons of God. Making the proper connection between, between Israel and the individual believer will keep us from wrongly dividing the word of truth and misapplying God's word to, other, to our lives. And Moses is going to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as the deliverer of God's people. So we understand that as our foundation as we move into this. Now we're going into our message, which is called A Child is Born. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to bring the word. And uh, God, you know the, disease, the deepest desire of my heart, Lord, is to not be heard today. Lord, my desire is to absolutely disappear, that the human element of this message will be completely removed, and that, Lord, your word will speak. God, I pray that your spirit will be permeating our hearts and minds. Help us to be hearers, Lord, of your word. But, Lord, I pray that you help us when we leave here to be doers. God, thank you for what you are going to do. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter number two, verse number one. It says, And there went out a man of the house of Levi and took to a wife a daughter of Levi. So these are, uh, when we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, this is with Levi, which is one of the sons of Israel. This is one of his children. In Numbers 25, verse, or 26, verse 59, we get a little bit more specifics on the names of who these people are. So the name of Amran, Amran was, was, was uh, um, Moses' father. Amran's wife was Jochebeth. And Jochebed, it says, um, the daughter of Levi, whom her mother bare to Levi in Egypt, and she bare her, uh, she bare unto Amron, Aaron, who is Moses' older brother, three years older, and Moses, and Miriam, their sister. Miriam is also older than either of them. Now, as we go a little bit further in verse number two, 
says this, And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, meaning he was beautiful, um, she hid him three months. Okay? Now, the reason why she hid him, because there was an, uh, there was an outright attack or a, a hunting of these Hebrew children. The, the Pharaoh had made an edict saying that all Hebrew boys would be killed, so they're hiding him to protect him in this instance. And when she could not longer hide him, she took, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's, bank, river's brink. Now, when it's, I've got a couple pictures that I want to show you. This is actually, this is, a, this is from the time of Egypt, which is really amazing. This thing is literally uh, thousands and thousands of years old. But this is made of the bulrushes, of the, the, the fibers and stuff like that they would take from the plants that stood in. There's another image that I'm going to show you which is this. These are the plants. This, this is the Nile River. So when it talks about it, it says that she placed her in the, in, the, in, in the flags. When it talks about flags, it's actually talking about these tall stalks. So you've seen pictures where they, she set him in the river and he just floated along. That's not actually what happened because it says that he, she placed him in it so that he would not move. There's a reason for that. There's a purpose to this. So this is a premeditated plan that we're going to see here that lines up with God's will. So they wanted to spare Moses, but at the same time, because they, God had a greater purpose for his life. Notice that his suffering under Pharaoh reaches its greatest evil, which is where we're at right now. God brings a savior. Now, he always has a plan, and his plan is always on time. Now, this suffering has been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, but at this time, this plan that's going to work out right in front of us is something that God is ordained. And it says, and his sister, now her name is Miriam, stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. So when they placed him in the bulrushes, in, in, in the stuff, she's placed, whenever the mom places him, now the daughter Miriam stands off and she can actually see him. She's keeping an eye on little Moses. And at the same time, they placed her there strategically because they know, guess who's going to come? Pharaoh's daughter. Now, it says here, and the daughter of Pharaoh, now her name was Bethiah. We find that from 1 Chronicles 4.18. Bethiah, she came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when, they, when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. So Moses' family knew who was coming. They set this thing up. This thing is all a plan here. And it says, And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, no, she knows the law as well as any, better than anybody else. Her dad is the one that made the edict to be killing these children. So she knows this child should die. Now, what the edict said was cast them into the river. So I think it's interesting that she's going to draw him out of the river because realistically, if you went through the, you know, he was cast into the river. He was in a little boat, but he was in the river. But per se, what happens here is she now, this voice, and this is really cool, the voice of Moses, one day the vocal cords of this baby when he grows up, God's going to use it to speak to the heart of a king, to a pharaoh, to an Egyptian ruler. And look as a baby. It says that when he wept, right? When he wept and she had compassion on him. So God used those little vocal cords here in the moment when he's a baby, just three months old, to speak to the heart of an Egyptian leader. It's incredible what God's going to do through this. So we see a miraculous deliverance right here of one child. It says, then said... His, father to, his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, because she comes running up, obviously. She's, this is all a plan, right? She's up there standing on the sidelines watching. She's like, wait, wait, oh, look at the baby. Dun, 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 dun. She comes running up, right? And she says, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? I just, just a thought. Is it possible? Would you like me to go get somebody? I, not that I have anybody in mind or anything like that, but, you know, would you like for me to? And look what happens next, right? And Pharaoh... And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. 
So how cool is this? So Moses' mom is waiting in the sidelines. Okay, plan should work out. Hey, mom, she wants you. Okay, da, 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 da. she comes running over there, right? How cool is this? And you see this thing as this thing starts to work out. And it's like, it's so cool. It brings up the verse. It made me think of this. Romans 8, 31. What shall, what shall we then say to these, uh, that these, these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Man, God wants this to take place, and God's going to work it out so that all these instances happen just as they're supposed to. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman, Moses' mother, took the child and nursed it. So now she gets to take care of her own son. She gets to nurse him and nurture him and teach him and train him as a young Hebrew boy. And how cool is it? She gets paid to do it. How awesome is that? If our life lines up with what God wants, not only will he meet the needs, but many times he will exceed the need and bless us for obedience. That's what we're seeing here, a blessing for obedience. Man, God is good, is he not? Amen. Verse number 10, and the child grew, okay? And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. Now, Moses, we know that that term, they, they can actually can be mean, it can mean son in the Egyptian. But it also, she says it here. She kind of gives an explanation of the name. She goes, and she said, because I draw him out of the water. So to draw out is a name also that mean a meaning of Moses' name. It's interesting that God one day will use Moses to draw out. The Egyptian people. How interesting that if we look back in the history in the Genesis and book of, in Genesis six, just think about the fact that there was an ark that was used, right, to, to deliver humanity, and we see again an ark again. There's all these pictures that God shows us again and again and again, where He's reinforcing the same stories and the same principles again and again and again and again of deliverance, deliverance, deliverance. Acts seven. Uh, 7, 21 through 23 gives us a little bit more understanding of what's kind of going on behind the scenes in this instance. And it says here, And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her son, okay, by way of her mother, by, his, by way of his mother. And Moses was learned in, all, is learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and in deeds. And we know that he actually was a leader of the armies, and we know that there was a battle at time. We know historically that it was a battle that was against the Ethiopians. And Moses was the leader of the army and brought the victory to Egypt. So he was a man that is well thirst and well, well understood in, in, in Egyptian uh, culture and everything else like that. And actually has a very important role in this Egyptian culture. And when he was fully, in verse number 23, and when he was fully 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. So now at the age of 40 years old, suddenly he gets this inkling in his heart, this drawing in his heart that, you know what, I need to go down and see what the people, the Israelites, the Jews, the Hebrews, what it is that they're going through. Now it's undoubted that he knew what was going on. No doubt about it. He had to have seen this. This is a day-to-day -day thing. But for whatever reason, it's not until the age of 40 that he actually takes a step in the right direction. And verse number 11, back into our verse, back into chapter Exodus 2. It says, and it came to pass... In those days when Moses was grown, that he went unto his brethren. So we know that he knows that he is one of these Hebrews. And, look, and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he sees one of the Egyptian taskmasters beating one of his brothers, he recognizes. Now, we could see this. Uh, how could Moses have lived in this, in this culture for so long and not have done something up to this point? We notice in that verse in Acts 7, 22, it says here, and it says, and Moses learned, and it says, it entered into his heart, right? 
So God dealt with his heart, not his mind, but his heart. And now because of his heart, he's drawn to, to take action. So now when he witnesses it, what he's probably witnessed many other times before, now it has a different impact because now he comes with a caring heart. He comes with this compassionate heart. Now, is it possible the reason why Moses didn't see what was going on around him is because Moses was kind of wrapped up in Moses? Yeah, right? He's learning all these things. He's got all these responsibilities. He's got all this stuff going on. He's leading the army. Moses is busy being Moses. But what happens now is we find that he's now starting to shift his heart, ignoring things, right? He's ignoring things. Now, as a side note, ignoring problems does not make them go away, right? Even though he's ignoring what's taking place, it doesn't change the fact that the people are still suffering. Only through facing problems head-on with love can they actually be resolved. Avoidance is motivated by one of two factors, either cowardice or arrogance. We're either so wrapped up in ourselves that we can't notice or we don't care about what's going on in someone else's life, or we see an issue taking place and we go, <laughs> I just think I'm going to go this way, right? Cowardice slips in. Facing issues is so important to God, check this out, that he instructs us not to even let a day go past, right? In Ephesians 4.26, he says this, be angry and sin not. So it's okay to be angry, but the problem is, the next part of this verse, it says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So it's okay for me to be upset about something, but if I don't address it, if I don't handle it, if I don't do it properly, what I do is I allow it to now become something else. It goes from being something where I'm righteously in indignation or frustration, it can suddenly become something called bitterness, right? It can something called something called resentment. Because if it's not addressed as it should be addressed, which the Bible says not to let a day go by, it says, look, if you have an issue, go handle it. But don't do it in anger and rage and things of that nature. It's done in love because God's desire is always restoration. It's not about being just and frustrating. So the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? God says, look, your job is not to go out and straighten them out. Your job is to love them and restore the relationship. But there's a broken part that falls upon us. So what happens when we take the time to really see others as Moses now does? If we'll take a moment to really look and see what other people are dealing with, we'll be amazed that sometimes we'll find out that they're struggling. But many times we're so caught up in what our life is going on and what we're dealing with that we can't even see what other people are struggling with. And it's when we take the time to step back and just really look and really pay attention and really listen, right? It's a wonderful trait. If you're a good listener, praise the Lord because there's very few of you in the world. That's something I'm desperate. I'm talking to my wife. That's my New Year's resolutions. Be a better listener. Be a better listener. Be a better listener. I'm a good talker, buddy. But sometimes you'll be talking to me and I'll be like, I'm thinking about what I'm saying. I'm not even hearing you. That's terrible. I shouldn't do that. But if you ever catch my eyes, you'll know you'll be like, he ain't even hearing me. Right? He's waiting to talk. I'm doing my best, I promise, to, to be a better listener. Uh, but bottom line is we look at this issue. We might look and see others, and we might actually uh, notice that there's something going on, but at the same time, we may not be willing to, to engage them because we're sometimes caught up in, in ourselves. When we recognize the burdens of others and allow the Lord to guide us to step in and to help them. What happens is we become more like God. God listens to suffering. He hears the suffering, and he responds. He saw the suffering of us. He saw my suffering. 17 and a half years ago, he knew my lost condition. He knew where I was burdened. He knew where I was separated from God, and he cared enough to come to me right where I was. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? The law of Christ, to love those that need love, to help them to know who Christ is. And that's one of the things that we're supposed to be doing as a body. But if you're not paying attention to what's going on around them, how can you bear the burden of someone else if you don't even know that they have one? 
I guarantee you, everybody in here has a burden of some sort. Can we all agree to that? Is anyone burdenless? If you are, raise your hand. We want to applaud you. Okay, you're not. <laughs> we all have some kind of burden, right? Verse number 12. It says, and he looked this way and that way. Okay? This is Moses, right? He looked this way and that way. What he's basically saying is it's about to go down, baby. Here we go. I'm about to do something I shouldn't maybe be doing, but I'm doing it, right? And he says, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand, hiding the evidence. Acts 7 gives us a little bit further insight. Acts 7.25, and really his motivations. Check this out in in Acts 7.25. He says this, For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So Moses has a plan thinking, you know what? This is my time. You know what? God's given me this compassion. I now see the issue that's going on. I see the struggle. I'm going to step in. They're going to rally behind me, and this is going to be the big moment. Let's see what happens. Now, it's this, uh, I wrote this down, here in his youth, now he's 40 years old, I'm, just bear with me, to me that's young, <laughs> if you're 40 years old, you are just a baby, come on, we're kids. Um, at this time we see that he has this mindset that he is going to be a deliverer in his youth, but God has a different plan and we're going to find that out. Verse number 13, it says, and when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together and he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? So basically these two guys are in a fight. There's one guy that sits wronging another guy, and he says, hey, break it up, fellas, break it up. Hey, what's going on here, right? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intent thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? Oh, my. And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. He's like, oh, boy. I was thinking they were going to rally behind me, and now they're calling me out, and this is a dangerous situation, so i got to get out of here. It says now in verse number 15, Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now I can imagine why he sat down by a well. Midian is 285 miles away from Egypt. That is over by walking. If you walk three miles an hour, that's over three and a quarter months of labor and walk. So he has traveled a great, great distance. Why did he go that far? Well, guess what? Pharaoh's power and Pharaoh's reach was extremely broad. And if you look at the, the Canaan, you go, why wouldn't he go to Canaan? That's where the Hebrews were. Well, guess what? That's 240 miles away, but guess who had control in that area? Pharaoh. And he had an agreement and understanding with the people there that if someone was found that was being looked for, they would deliver them back to Egypt. So he was like, look, I got to get out of here. So he goes all the way to Midian. Verse number 16, now the priest of Midian. Now, when it says priest, we know that based upon who he is, that he's actually a priest of the Hebrew God, not of some kind of crazy sect. And he had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their water's flock, to water their father's flock. So the land, this is, understand, Midian was a very, was lots of grasslands and uh, lots and lots of flocks and herds. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So Moses, again, he falls into the role of deliverer. He sees a wrong, and now with the heart that he has, he steps up and he risks himself against these other men. And not only does he deliver them, but then it says he watered the flock. So he not only saves them, but then he cares for them, right? He's fulfilling a role that God created him for. He was born to be this person. Jeremiah, we see the Bible also, God, another example of God creating somebody for a specific purpose. Jeremiah 1, 1 5, he says, Before I formed thee in, thy, in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of, the, out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. He's like, I have a purpose for your life, Jeremiah. Guess what? As children of God, it's the exact same thing for us. Isaiah 43, 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my 
glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. God created us for his glory. Verse number 18. And when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that ye are come, to, come so soon today? He said, Look, what are y'all doing back so early? This takes a lot longer for you normally to do this. And they said, An Egyptian, remember his clothing, right? He just escaped Egypt, so he's still, they assume he's an Egyptian. He says, An Egyptian, notice the word used, used here, delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. So he cared for them. Here we see indications of the character that dwelled within Moses. When he was surrounded by the trappings of the world, that was around him, guess what? This nature, that's man that he was, was rather dormant. It didn't show up. But once he got outside of that, and he went through the hardships of all this travels, now what's happened is that the, the Egypt that was in him has kind of fallen away a little bit, and there's more and more of the character of God being revealed in him. Because of his choice to defend his brethren, Moses was forced to leave Egypt. Now, there are times in our lives when we don't want to make a change, but God will bring a change in your life, and sometimes he will force it upon you, okay? As an example, when I, I worked at a church for about 14 and a half years, and I thought as far as I was concerned that that was the church I was going to work in until I died. I was there committed to that ministry. I was committed to those people. I thought, this is it. This is the end for me. And what happened was things started to change in the ministry. Things started to change with, with, with the relationship of the pastor that was there and myself. Things started to change. And God was altering things dramatically in my life. And I was in great unrest and straight struggle. And I dis had disagreements. And I just had this churning in my heart. And I was like, what's going on? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I searched my heart and searched my heart. Man, am I right with God? Am I right with you, Lord? And I spent six months searching and searching and searching. And at the end of it, I was like, Lord, you know what? I'm right with you. I don't know what else is going on, but I know I'm being moved out of here. Not because I want to be, but because I'm, I'm being forced out. It really was a situation where I had no other choice. So I reached a point in time where I had to take a step out. But the thing was, God had a purpose for us to plant hope. And see, that's the thing. We didn't know. My heart was, stay there forever. God's heart was, I have something else for you to do. But I'm staying here forever for six months. I'm staying here forever. I'm staying here forever. No, you're not. I'm staying here forever. No, you're not. I'm, this is it. No, no, no. This is it. No, 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 no. You're moving on. But, 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 but what? And eventually it got to the point in time where it was like, hey, knucklehead. Hey, guess what? You know, bright flashing sign. You're leaving. I'm pushing you out the door. You are out of here. Boom. Oh, goodness. Well, I guess, really? The old bank? The old banks? The church? Really? What's it? Trinity Bank? Well, that's kind of cool. It's available, it's been, but it's been abandoned for eight years. It is, there's no power. There's no water. They, I looked it up on Zillow. There's no, it does, the address doesn't even show up. What is this place? This is crazy. And man, I'm telling you what, God started opening doors. It was unbelievable. Amen. Things started falling into place. And they gave us the keys to the building, and man, we, this place was, was nasty. I mean, you imagine all that time. Plus, the ceiling leaked everywhere. There was roof water pouring through the ceiling everywhere. We turned the water on, and water poured. It looked like a waterfall in here. It was unbelievable. The plumber was in the back of the building, and we turned the water on, and we were talking and stuff like that, and he's turning the faucet on. He's like, huh, that's weird. And there's no water coming out of the sink. And he's like, and he turns around, and we came around the corner, and water in that room is just pouring out of the ceiling. The ceiling tiles are falling in, insulation's dropping in, water's coming through the lights. We're like, oh! And God brought a plumber who replumbed the whole building and wouldn't charge us. Brought an electrician, did all the work, wouldn't charge us. Contractors that came and did all this work, wouldn't charge us. God was like, you have a need, I'll take care of it. 
I'm getting it ready. I'm getting it ready. I'm getting ready. And we have a list of over 50 things that God provided in that time frame. And in 50 days, this went from an abandoned, nasty building to being what you see today. And we had our first service, and somebody was saved in that very first service. And God said, you know what? I had a plan when that bank was built that one day your office would be in the vault. <laughs> and one day, where they used to bring in the money, there's going to be full of chairs, and people are going to come to know me there. I have a plan. And it's so awesome, the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. But sometimes when we're hard-headed, he'll push us to do it. In this passage, the Lord is going to allow us to see two different forms of bondage. The Israelites are under physical bondage, but Moses is under material bondage. He's under a social bondage. These things have weighed upon us. A bondage is an outside force that overpowers our will. Something that we find that we cannot defeat. If it's physical, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be someone trying to start, stop smoking. They go, man, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. Because something else has got your will. You go, I want to stop, but I can't, right? Then there's other aspects of it. Think about this. Social media can be a bondage to people. Some folks are so attached to that. They're so, you know, like, I, 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 I posted something, I got better check and see if I got any, got any likes. Well, just two. I should, that should be a 10 at least. I mean, Who's, is anybody sharing it? Nobody's sharing it? What's, why, why is nobody sharing it? What, did I, I must be a mistype. Is it really, show, let me check on my thing, make sure it posted. Okay, did it, well, it posted, yeah. How long did it post? Well, okay, right? People get so fixated on this stuff because they're looking for this external evaluation of themselves, this, this fulfillment somehow from someone else instead of searching from God. It's, just, it's something that bonds people. It sees it controls them. Bad relationships. People get in bad relationships and they feel so attached to somebody that they cannot let go. They cannot, but they know it's destructive for them, but they lose their will. Low self-esteem, feeling they don't have value, something that people cannot let go. Love of money, people that are searching and searching and searching, want to be financial success. They're all the same desire, which is to fill a void, right? God created us all with a void for Him. And it's not until we fill it with him that we'll ever be filled. It doesn't matter what you stick in there. Seeking approval, entertainment. You know, people, I'm always bored. I'm bored. I need to be entertained. I got to be. No. Find a way to be fulfilled in God. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Even just your routine. We're just doing the same thing every single day. It can become a bondage to us. So we all face bondage in different forms and different fashions. Moses was not in bondage physically, but he certainly was a slave to the lavish lifestyle that he was raised in, without a doubt. It wasn't until God allowed him to see with his eyes that Moses could actually break free. He had to see, right? They're going to a place, sorry. Uh, if we find ourselves in bondage today, it's not until we allow God to give us a glimpse of who it is he intends us to be and what he intends us to do that we can start to break away from it. Think of how much easier it would be if we would just open our eyes to see what God wants to show us instead of being so caught up with what it is that we think is important. And so many of the things that we think are important in this world have zero value to God. And the things that mean so much to God on earth, so many times people devalue them as if they have no value. And it's a scary thing, but Satan is so seductive in altering the way we see things. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. He says, I have a specific purpose for you that I want to reveal to you. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And guess what it's designed to? To bring glory to my name. That's why you're here. And what happens, because we get so caught up in the things of this world and the distractions of this world, that we lose sight of that. And our life brings glory to self and not to God. And so many times he becomes a, a secondary or a tertiary or whatever the fourth is. 
or the fifth or the sixth. We don't know. But the priority shifts in our life, and where God should be preeminent, He becomes a secondary thought. The only limitations that God has in working in our lives are the ones that we place upon Him because of our lack of faith. Matthew 17, 20 says this, And Jesus saith unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Mark 10, 27 says this, And Jesus looked upon them with, them, with, with men, it is impossible, he said, but not, with, but, with God, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Verse number 20, And he said unto his daughters, where is he, right? Where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Where is this hero? Let's honor him, right? And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, uh, his daughter. Now, Moses, notice the word that's used here. It says he's content. Moses has lost sight. He recognized that he was a deliverer when he was in Egypt. He recognized he was a deliverer when he got to the well. But now that he stayed there for a little while, he has become content. He now has a wife. We're going to find out that he's going to have a child. So many times, these distractions in our life draw us away from the mission that God's given us, okay? Think about this. Who's ever been too busy to spend time in God's Word? Yep, distraction. Who's ever been too busy to pray? Yep, all of us. Who's ever been too busy to even, th or to think about this, going to church doesn't necessarily fit in your schedule, right? Ah, uh, you know, I'm, I, I know it should go, but, you know. I got some things. I got to get, this is important. I got to take care of it, right? Too busy to help someone maybe who's in need when you felt led to help them because you talk yourself out of it. But you know, I got this and I got this and I got this. These distractions. Moses is in a situation right now when he's in Midian and he's become a pretty good shepherd. He's become a pretty good leader in that community. He's got a wife. He's got family. He's got a little bit of respect. And he's kind of forgotten about all those people that he had a burden for in the past. Verse number 22. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom. Gershom means stranger. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Now, if you introduce kids into the mix, you think there's some distractions in life? Well, boy, oh boy, throw in kids and all of a sudden distractions. <laughs> they, grow, they grow massively, right? Think about shuttling them here and, here, here and there. Sports, school plays, field trips, ex extracurricular activities, uh, you know, whatever it is you're doing, parties, all this stuff. So you take your regular schedule, now you take someone else's schedule, now you become responsible for theirs, and all of a sudden it doubles everything. And the distractions are more and more and more abundant. And what happens, we find ourselves losing sight of what our mission is, which is to bring glory to God. And we get so focused up on our kids that they can become our number one priority. Now, some people in the world believe that, that is the way it should be. That is not the godly way. The number one priority in our life should be God a relationship with Him. Because by having that relationship with God, you establish what your child needs to have, which is a relationship with Him. It's an understanding of what a parent is, which is the parent-child relationship, which is a picture of God the Father with the children of God, which is us, right? So God wants us to picture to our children His importance and the relevance of why that relationship is so important. But what happens when we shift our relationship and the children become so important is that now our validity or our, our validation can sometimes be found in our kids. Do you know people that their whole life revolves around their children? Yeah. They are A number one, above their spouse, above God, and anything you put above a God. The Bible warns us in Exodus 34, 14, for thou shalt worship no other God. Notice G-O-D. Because guess what? God is a jealous God. 
For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Anything we prioritize over him becomes a little g-o-d. Your kids can be a g-o-d. Money can be a g-o-d. Your spouse can be a g-o-d. It's important to have these relationships. It's important to invest in your kids. It's important to be there for them. But bottom line is you've got to make God number one because he is what they need. Deuteronomy 6.5 this, says this, And as thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Prioritize your life around me because I am the answer to your problems, the questions that you have, the desires that you have, the voids that you have. I'll fill them, God tells us. Verse number 23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed. This word they say sighed, that basically means they groaned. They're under great, great pain. It says, and they sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. So the time of deliverance is now approaching. And I want you to pay attention to this. I'll get that a little further. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob a covenant that he would build a nation from this line, right? And what we find is it says remembered. And people go, well, God forgot him. No, 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 no. What this is saying is this. God, the entire time, is wanting to have that relationship restored. He's waiting on them. There's been 400 years of silence because God has not heard from them. Notice this is the first time where it says, and they cried. They cried out to God. And instantly God heard them because he was listening the entire time. He's hovering there, waiting on them. And when you and I face deals, deal with stresses or deal with pains or deal with issues, know that God is right there with you the entire time. He's waiting on you to depend upon him. So many times you go, why is God so distant? Why is God so distant? Why is God so distant? He's not distant. He's right here. He's on your back, man. He just wants you to turn to him and say, I need you. All this time, arrogance has separated them from God. All this time, we're doing so good in Egypt. We've done this for so long, and now they've gotten so used to this life that they leave, and they've accepted so much of the Egyptian culture that they've lost sight of who God is, but it's gotten so hard on them and so oppressive on them that they go, you know what? We need you. We remember who you are, and we call out to you in burden. And some of us wonder why we face burdens. But check our hearts, man. God uses these tough times to draw us to him. Sometimes because we are so hard, because we've got this life that's so full of all these distractions and all these things, God's got to allow something really tough to come upon our shoulders. And when the weight of it gets so great that we feel like we're going to break, and he says, Lord, I need you. I cry out, and instantly, and God heard their groaning because he was listening. Amen. Never leave us. Never forsake us. No matter who we are, lost, saved, whoever you are, God's listening. He wants to be there for you. So many times it takes bondage or suffering to turn our hearts back to God. The good news is that he's always listening and he's waiting, right? And the cool thing is, check this out. And when you have those problems and when you struggle and when you call to him, he already has deliverance waiting in the wings. Amen. Because off in Midian, there's a 40-year-old guy who's now 80 years old, who's hanging out being a shepherd. And God's going to break the silence as he speaks to that little boy who was born, stuck in an ark, sat in the bushes, chosen, lived this unusual life, escaped to Midian, living, lost, con lost control of his life so many times. And God says, you know what? Every one of your experiences is important because I'm creating a deliverer, someone that I'm going to use. And all this crying right here 
you, you're going to be the one. Last verse, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect, said he had respect upon them. His eyes and his heart are now focused on the children of God because their hearts have finally turned. That's the key. God wants to bring deliverance in your life. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on these Israelites because their hearts have been wrong. And the beautiful thing is that through it all, God's desire is the fact to restore them. He loves them in the midst of where they're at and the troubles that they're struggling with. And he's going to use this broken young man, this deliverer, Moses. And he's going to draw this man. And we're going to start. When we start in Exodus 3, you're going to see it, man. We're going to jump up to the burning bush. It's going to be, this is when it all starts happening. Silence is broken. It's going to be, whew, I can't wait. Anyway, I would go, I'd preach that right now if I could, but I'm not ready. Um, <laughs> but bottom line is, this is an exciting picture. And if we go back to what it means, remember, we look at who Pharaoh is, right? Pharaoh is, is Satan. He's our enemy. He's trying to tear us down. He's trying to oppress us. Then we've got Egypt, which is a picture of the world, which is sin and all the things that we fight with every single day. Then you've got the Israelites, which is a picture of us individually dealing with the strain and the string of all this bondage and the things that we struggle with in this life. And then we've got Moses, who's a picture of Christ. And the cool thing is that God wants to work in each of our lives and deliver us out of whatever it is that we're struggling with. We all agree that we're all carrying some kind of load. If you're saved today, cast your cares upon me, for I careth for you. He says, look, let me carry it for you. Let me get you out of this mess. If you're lost today, you say, look, I don't have a relationship with God. Man, that's where I was 17 and a half years ago. I didn't know anything about God. God to me was just a, a picture of a cross and, and an understanding there was some big guy with a big hammer up in, in, up in, in the stars that had a big white beard and he would pound me. And I, I didn't understand anything about God. Nothing. But when they revealed to me, it wasn't the religious stories that I'd been told, but it was about a personal relationship with a God who loved me individually and personally. And then he cared for me more than I even understood what it meant to be loved the way it could be loved. And I realized the fact that he knew my name and he created me for a purpose that wasn't just to exist and live and try to survive and try to get a name for myself, but I was created for a glory that was not something I could even understand. And the fact that when we live our lives for him, God gets glory. Because today, if I do my job right and I disappear, God gets glory. That's the desire Amen. that we have to all have. Because this life's not about us. It's all about him. Right. If we make it about us, we just ruin it all. But if we make it about him, it can become an incredible, glorious story that gives him glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your message. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Exodus and the beautiful, amazing picture that it paints for us. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you've worked in my heart. If no one else got anything from this message, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm rich from it. I'm so thankful for it, God. You have fed me. And, uh, and I just uh, pray that, uh, Lord, you'll help me, God, to be a representation of you. Father, as we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Lord, I pray that, God, you'll deal with hearts. If there's one here today that says, you know, I don't know the Lord. I don't have a relationship with God. I can completely understand. Because as I said years ago, when someone asked me a question, they said, David, if you died today, if this is your last day on earth, if this was it, do you have a relationship with God? Would you go to heaven when you die? And I searched my heart and I said, man, I hope so. But I don't know. And he thanked God. He took the time to explain to me that, you know what? My problem was not that I hated God. My problem was that I had sin in my life. I had done things wrong. And I knew this. I knew who I was. And if I looked in my heart, I knew what I had done wrong. And those things separated me from a righteous God who was holy. And God loved me in spite of who I was. 
And he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That Jesus Christ loved me in my state, in my condition. And he said, The wages of sin is death, meaning the price of my sin was death, a separation from God. If I died as I was with my sin and taking full responsibility for my sin, guess what? The wage of my sin, what I earned because of my sin, was the separation of God, which means when I died, I would not be in heaven. I'd be in hell. And I recognized that and understood it to be a truth. And what was amazing is, as I said, I had no biblical understanding at all. But when it was told these things, I knew them to be true. And then he shared a verse with me. It said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is, what your knowledge is, irrelevant. It is nothing more than, are you a person? And are you hurting? And do you want me to restore you? And guys, that night I was broken and I needed to be restored and it's changed my life for so much the better, incredibly. And if you're here today and you say, look, I don't have that relationship, but you want it. The most wonderful thing in the world is it doesn't take theological understanding. It simply takes a matter of faith. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If we will call out to God by faith, he will save our soul and give us a home in heaven. We will become his child, and he will restore a relationship that was broken when we were born. If you're here today and you want to receive that gift, you don't have to say anything, you don't have to do anything, in your seat, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And you get to talk to God, just you and him. And when you speak to him, because remember, he's not listening to the words of a prayer. He's listening to the heart of the praying person. He's listening to the intention of your heart. Now, with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, if you want to receive that gift today, if you want God to break you of the bondage that you're in and give you a relationship with him, he's ready to do it. He's waiting on you. Remember, the Israelites called out to him. They cried. And today is your opportunity to cry out to him, because I guarantee you he's listening. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior by faith, say this prayer in your heart and your mind, reaching out to Him. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I'm coming to you by faith, trusting that you are exactly who you say you are, and that you have the power to save me. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. And I'm asking you to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, not for any other reason than to go and give glory to God, I'm not going to call you out. All I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand and acknowledge that you made that decision. If you called out to God today and received that gift, if you would raise your hand, I'm the only one looking. Nobody else is looking around. It's acknowledgement to God. Acknowledgement to God. One more time. Anybody raised, prayed that prayer? Raise your hand so we can acknowledge it to God. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, so much for the power of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the heart of these people. Thank you, Lord, for those that have come to hear the Word. And God, I pray, Father, that you help it to impregnate our hearts, God, to do something different. Help us, Lord, to recognize the distractions. Help us, Lord, to recognize the bondage and know that, Father, you are the deliverer. And the Lord, you will lift us out of whatever mess we're in if we'll simply call upon you. Thank you for your power to do that. And thank you, Lord, for your willingness to come where we are 
in our broken state and restore us no matter who we may be. God, I love you and I'm thankful for you. I pray that you will bless the rest of our day in Jesus' precious name. Amen.